Coming up next on The Jeff Curley Show, he recently retired after a long legal career specializing in labor and employment law. We'll be talking to Andy Trusevich about the hot topics of the day. Next. Many are predicting that the worst is yet to come, which is unfortunate, said one person here. Until now, they've enjoyed the reputation of being the nation's icebox. Watched a burglar in his home this morning by webcam. As a journalist of over 25 years, stories are what make my world turn. Reporting live from the Dallas Newsroom tonight, Jeff Crilly, Fox 4 News. But in 2008, I took the jump from my familiar life and started a PR firm from my home. We're talking about anyone with a camcorder like the one I'm using becomes a television network. We started slowly growing the company and we now have over a hundred clients and we've branched into the world of live digital broadcasting. I now own eight different TV studios and have a huge team. And the stories that I now get to share are sometimes the most important of my life. Life has a funny way of coming around full circle. This is the Jeff Crilly Show. Well, my next guest is my same age, 59. Uh, I'm about to turn 60, so I've got him um, by a little bit. But uh, he recently retired after a long, illustrious legal career. Andy Trusevich, board-certified labor and, and employment law, lawyers in studio. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Jeff. I mean, it's always a pleasure and honor to come in. Well, you and I have known each other for several years now, and I want people to get to know you before we get into some of the, the hot legal topics of the day. Um, when you look back on your legal career, because you practiced law for 32 years, what were some of the highlights for you? The biggest highlights was uh, I graduated Baylor Law School, and I knew from Baylor they their, their specialty is training trial lawyers, and I knew I wanted to be a trial lawyer. And I tried my first case 90 days after passing the bar um, in federal court, Judge Parker, who's now retired, but it was in federal court, and I loved it. I was addicted to it. And my career spanned uh, 32 years, and I, I have been able to litigate all over the United States. Um, and it is great to be a trial lawyer, to be able to travel, um, meet different jurors in different states, different backgrounds, different uh, uh, political agendas, uh, political views. And the, I think some of the big cases that stood out, um, you know, I have those in mind. Absolutely. Now, we want to show one of your many awards. Um, this was an honor bestowed on you by D Magazine. Uh, tell us more about that and why, we, why were you given the award? Yeah, I real, and I appreciate D Magazine for the award. It was, uh, uh, you had to be nominated, then you went through a nomination uh, co uh, committee interview, and it was based on the previous year's legal work. What did you do? And I was up against uh, some really good qualified lawyers. Uh, I think they could have won also if they were good lawyers, um, but it was all in-house lawyers. And that year I won because the EEOC sued my client and we never offered a penny, never offered a penny. I told them from day one, I'm going to beat you. It was out of the Chicago office. And don't get me started on how I think the EEOC <laughs> should be shut down. But the Chicago office is the worst office run EEOC office in the United States. And the EEOC sues companies because they gamble that 98% of the companies will pay money and settle. And so they issue a press release, sue the company, get a settlement and then issue another press release. We never offered a penny. And so I went all over the United States, took depositions. It took two years to get to a jury in Central District of Illinois 
and the EEOC asked the jury for $195 million in damages for one person, and it would have been reduced by caps, but I won't get into that detail. Um, the jury just was laughing when the EEOC lawyers were asking for that kind of money. I knew they were with me. This is on the fifth day. We started Monday, and I gave an hour and a five-minute closing argument on Friday, and I told the jury, not a penny. Give these people their reputation back. They've been falsely accused by a government agency that has no problem falsely accusing people, and the jury went back, ordered lunch, and came back. Not only did they give zero dollars, but they found no liability for my client. So I won for that reason, and also um, I, my company sued a vendor, and we reached a, a million and a half dollar settlement, is, which is what I was asking the arbitrator for. So for those two reasons, though, those were my accomplishments for the previous year, and D Magazine felt those outweighed my two competitors in that particular category, and I won the award. And uh, it's really proud because my mom passed away, but she was there alive for that award. Wow, that's really special. And I have to imagine like a, a chess match, you have to be thinking like five moves ahead, don't you? It is funny you say that, Jeff, because I tell young lawyers, litigation is like chess. And my dad was from the Ukraine and taught my brother and I, he's a, my brother's a cardiologist, and he taught us to play chess from the time we were small, um, you know, we weren't, we were, my brother and I were like Niles and Fraser Crane. We didn't know sports, but we knew chess and band. And um, so it is absolutely like a chess match and you have to outthink your opponent and at least four or five moves ahead. And if you don't do that, you're gonna lose. Wow. Now, we're, we want to talk about the Supreme Court because they've been in the news a lot lately. They, they handed down some um, pretty significant um, rulings. Uh, what is your view on the Supreme Court these days? You know, I think Roberts is trying to be a middle-of-the-road court, but it is a conservative bent court. And I think it's correcting because under the previous, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the liberals had it, they went so far. And there's two opinions on the Supreme Court. The conservatives believe that the Constitution, and, 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 and that's really what is at stake here, the Constitution was written by the Founding Fathers and it gave the uh, federal government limited powers. The only powers the federal government was given when this country was founded is contained in the Constitution. And anything not contained in the Constitution was left to the states to decide. And that was the compromise, the, you know, Alexander and Hamilton, right? So that's the, the, the great compromise. We'll have a federal government, but they have limited powers and the rest are reserved to the states. The liberals on the court expanded that and said, we don't care if it's in the Constitution or not. It's in the, quote, spirit of the Constitution. If the founding fathers were alive today, they'd agree with us, so we're expanding it. And you look at Washington. Washington is just a bloated, bloated, uh, filled a government filled with too many government agencies that don't do anything. And the conservatives believe, no, the Constitution says what it says, and if you want to expand it, then go through the proper process. Do a constitutional amendment. They did it through pro prohibition. Uh, prohibition was not uh, received by the public, so they retracted it properly by going through the uh, process of a constitutional amendment. And um, I'm really concerned with this current Supreme Court because Clarence Thomas, I wish he would have retired under Trump and when McConnell held the Senate 
because they would have replaced him with a conservative. If Biden wins, or even if a Republican wins the White House, but the Democrats control the Senate, they're going to do what McConnell did. They'll hold up any nomination, and Clarence Thomas is not in the best of health, and it could easily swing the other way. Wow. I want to talk about labor unions right now, because I grew up in Detroit, big uh, auto town. Um, Almost everybody I knew was part of a union. Um, and then I think uh, in the 80s and, and into the 90s, it, they kind of lost uh, their mojo. Suddenly they're coming back. Uh, like we're, uh, right now, as we speak, the actors may be joining the writers right. in, in, a, in a strike. Um, what's happening? You know, that, that, that's a great question. And by the way, I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So during the 70s, uh, you, you had a lot of unions, but uh, they, they worked at the beer factories. I mean, Milwaukee was the beer capital of, of the country when I grew up there. Um, but the reason you're, you, you saw, you're seeing a resurgence is, I think the pandemic had a lot to do with it. And I read yesterday how Jamie Dimon, uh, the CEO of JP Morgan, put out an article saying, or a statement, that working at home, uh, you can't really be a leader by working at home. And it almost seems like that companies and CEOs and boards are starting to retaliate against employees because they're working at home uh, during the pandemic. And now they want everybody back. And, and remote working makes sense for some jobs. It doesn't for others. You go into a pharmacy, you can't have someone working remotely filling your prescription. But for an IT person, it makes sense to have that person be able to work at home. And so I think the way that uh, corporate America is treating the average employees, I think that's why we're seeing a resurgence of unions. And unions have their pros and they have their cons. And one of the things I like about you is that you can see both sides. Um, so in terms of who has the upper hand right now, employees or the employer, where would you um, put that? Oh, I definitely say the, the employers because they pay the lobbyists on K Street so much money that the average worker just doesn't have that. And, and a good example is if you think that um, when you apply for a job that your resume is being reviewed by a live person, most of the time it's not. It's going to be reviewed by an AI algorithm. And um, why are companies doing that? They'll tell you it's to increase DEI. I say it's because they want to cut the HR staff, cut the uh, um, recruiters, cut the number of human resource directors, and save money for the company. And so, and, and I get it, management has to look to save money because their fiduciary duty first is to shareholders if they're a publicly traded company. So I'm not criticizing them for that, but I think unless you're treated fairly, or at least you believe you're treated fairly, People who believe they're treated unfairly or have the perception that they're treated unfairly, those are the ones who call unions. And Andy and I had the um, honor of working with each other a couple of years ago, and he was on the news almost every day. We're going to show a little clip here as, as we show this. I want you to talk about um, why you like to educate the public through the media. Sure. And the biggest reason is because I've been doing it for 32 years, most lawyers aren't going to, they work for especially big defense firms. They are not going to say anything against the EOC. They're not gonna say anything against uh, uh, employees or tell the company, you know what, we didn't treat this, you, you didn't treat this employee correctly. Um, we ought to resolve this. 
the, if you work for a defense firm, you get paid by the hour. If you resolve it early in two or three hours, which could be done, um, instead it's drug out. They have this cookie cutter plan. Okay, we're gonna file an answer. We're going to fight this claim. We're gonna take depositions. We'll spend a couple hundred thousand dollars. And then we'll say, well, the employee was asking for 200, but we settled it for 80. We did you a great job. And that's the problem. A lot of it, uh, lawyers that are currently working in their careers, and I understand it, they know where their bread's buttered, don't want to talk about the issues that affect, you know, criticize management when management should be criticized and give management credit when management should be uh, uh, complimented or criticize employees when they should be criticized or give them credit when they should be given credit. Okay, we only have a couple of minutes left. Um, I want your kind of final thoughts on why practicing law uh, with integrity is such a noble profession. You know, I think every lawyer, and, and probably people have heard this if they have lawyers in the family or uh, distant family, um, to kill a mockingbird. Every lawyer wants to be Gregory Peck and to kill a mockingbird and be that lawyer you start out from law school really wanting to make a change. And then, you know, a lot of us tend to get jaded over the years. And, you know, you can cut corners or you can have integrity. And luckily, I worked with a lot of companies where if they treated, if, if, if they treated the employee wrong, I could tell the CEO or general counsel, you need to resolve this case and here's why. And they'd listen. I worked for other companies where the CEOs or general counsel would either fire me or start yelling at me, telling me how I don't know what I'm talking about. And then they'd end up hiring someone else and losing the case, or we would settle for a higher amount later on. And so you have to have the integrity to, to, to call it down the middle, see the facts as they are, because the facts aren't gonna change. You can try to spin the facts, and that's what trial lawyers do. They spin the facts, but you can't change the facts, and that's what integrity is all about. Wow, that's a great way to end this segment. We're gonna have to have you back again soon. Uh, the Thank great you. Andy Trusevich, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, it was a pleasure. That's it for now, we'll see you next time.